0: Because my life before that was, I'm gonna be an officer in the United States Army. I had a class date for Officer Candidate School. I'm gonna do 20 years, get out maybe as a light colonel and do another 20 years in the same type of job capacity working for Halliburton or you know one of the big, the big uh, military firms and do another 20, double retirement, travel the world. That was the, the way I was thinking. One misstep derailed all of those things.
1: Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show. I am so excited today. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have today's guest. Our guest today, I just want to give you a little information about him before you meet him. Our guest today is an overcomer who's continuing to make an impact around the world, but He has got a history of this. He is a Gulf War Army veteran. He's a four-time track and field All-American, a two-time Olympic trials qualifier who suffered a sports career-ending injury. Since his injury, though, he's advised two U.S. secretaries of state. He's been featured. That's three U.S. secretaries of state now, right? That's right, three U.S. secretaries of state. He's been featured on numerous television shows, and founded the U.S. Olympic Committee's Paralympic Military Sports Program to help wounded, ill, and injured service members use sports as a tool for their rehabilitation. And as I'm sure you'll learn as we we talk with John today, that's not everything he's done, but that's as much as I'm (laughs) going to list off before we get to the conversation. John Register, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
0: David, you know, this is such a great opportunity. You are doing such a positive work in the community and you're really helping leaders see where they need to go and the directions that they need to have to actually elevate their people. So thank you for the work that you do. I'll back at you,
1: man. So John, uh, we're going to get into talking about uh, resiliency and, and creating your new normal and uh, things I think that are very topically relevant for every leader who's listening this in real time, as well as those who are going to come across it a year or two from now. Yeah. So, but before we do any of that, one question that I ask every guest, I'm going to ask you is what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader?
0: That's a great question. I, I think the, the earliest memory I have is when I had my red flyer wagon. And I was, uh, did two jobs. One was I was doing a newspaper route when I was a kid on the west side of Chicago. So I delivered the papers really fast on the west side. Uh, but also, having being an entrepreneur uh, at a really early age, I had a lemonade stand would catch all the people coming off the L train down Ridgeland Avenue, and I would sell to those individuals. So that was leadership lesson number one. What I learned from that, though, drove my whole life. the the next, I always think about this is I got competition one block ahead of me. And uh, one of my customers, faithful customers came and said, Hey, you got some competition. They're selling and getting your customers before they get to your block. So what you should do is take that red flyer wagon and go up to the L stop, go around the backside, sell there, and you get them going both ways. And I remember saying, Oh my gosh, it's about location it's about how to to market and how to how to get yourself ahead of time and doing so well with your customers that you have that they will tell you and give you the secret sauce of what they know to beat your competition thought that was it was invaluable at 7 years old
1: <laughs> 7 years old and you were being you were learning strategic sales leadership advice <laughs> from your customers that is from fantastic. my customers <laughs> Wow. That What a great lesson to learn so early. I mean, you know, uh, there are so many people who still don't know that lesson now well into <laughs> adulthood, right? What a gift. That's fantastic. And, and so, certainly something that you have used as you've looked for other opportunities in life. You know, so leaders right now are facing a lot of change. Um, some of that change is good. We've got right now leaders who uh, are, you know, we were talking before the show, who are facing overwhelming demand for their services in the current absolutely. environment um, we've got others who are scared and frightened and, and dealing with tremendous change and don't know what tomorrow holds and uh, and are just trying to get day, get by and get their team through day by day absolutely um, and then we've got others who you know are their big challenge is that they are having to lay people off and let people go and they don't want to but that's their furloughing and we don't know how long this is going to last and uh, and so we've got leaders in a variety of different circumstances right now, mm. from massively stressed to massive change to massive sadness. And so we don't know how long this goes. We don't know what the new normal exactly looks like. But one thing I do know, John, is that you are an expert in the new normal. And so mm. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story and how you got to be an expert in this. And then let's, we'll dive into how leaders can, can benefit from some of the things that you have learned.
0: I appreciate that. It's, I really owe it to my wife, Alice. Uh, so I was a world-class athlete, ran track and field for the University of Arkansas, was a four-time All-American, went to two Olympic trials, was in the United States Army training for my third Olympic trials when I misstepped a hurdle. I dislocated my left knee because of that misstep, and seven days later, subsequently, my left leg was amputated because of that. Uh, At my lowest moment, when I was trying to understand and redefine myself, who am I now? What's my identity? Will my wife still stay with me? Will my son still see me as his father? Do I still have a job in the army? Can I support my family? All of these things were in my psyche, uh, and they were driving me down a downward spiral to a a negative place. And my my wife saw me struggling with that. And she comes over, you know, I was in a wheelchair at the time with one leg in pain, she comes over and she throws her arms around me and says the words that stop that downward spiral. You know what, John, we're going to get through this together. It is just our new normal. And that happened in 1994 on May 17th. And that was my ground zero. Everything else began to build upon that. And the way I use the term now is not like how most people are using it out there where uh, this is it. It's the only thing we're going to have now. This will be the new normal. It's going to be this is the plateau. I don't use that terminology as that because every day we get a chance to create something that is new. So I define the new normal as new as no prior point of reference. That means we do not live in our past. We can learn from our past. We don't hang out there. We don't camp there. We move forward. And so as we move forward, every day is, is new. And we focus on that, new, that normal day, right? That normalcy that we can create. Uh, as you were talking earlier about the, the leadership right now, what type of rituals do we have in place that the rituals will then drive our rhythm and that rhythm will elevate us to our rise? That is what we need to be focused on so that the new normal is not a destination. The new normal is a plateau,
1: so John, what happened briefly, I mean, we got a little bit in your introduction there, but what happened briefly as you you were in that moment of of depth and and despair and, and depression and, and everything, which uh, of course, I think as a, anybody who's been a, a massive athlete like yourself and then to have your mobility limited, uh, that had to be hard. So, But you started to turn and then what became possible as you embraced some of the things that you're going to share with the leaders today?
0: Well, you know that's a great question, and I don't know if I knew what was possible. Right? It's just like what we're talking about earlier with these leaders not knowing what the future is going to hold. We can only control what's in front of us right now and control today, Uh, because we don't know when the virus is going to turn, we're going to flatten out. You know how long are we going to be in this? Uh, And that's that's the that's the whole key is we we have this false sense that I'm in total control. I know what tomorrow will bring for me, and we really don't know. And that builds the angst. So for me, it was really developing that ritual. I began and one of my tracks was swimming for physical therapy. Uh, the swimming led on to me making the Paralympic swim team 22 months later, post injury. And that led to me seeing athletes on the track and field team Well, i will go back because the Paralympic Games for those that don't know, are the parallel games to the Olympic Games after the Olympic Games will be the Paralympic Games in Tokyo next year as well in 2021. That showed me people on the track running on artificial legs. I was an All-American running on two legs. Could I run on one leg? That led on to the winning the silver medal in Sydney, Australia uh, in the long jump. So I think what we have to do is keep moving forward. Uh, and moving forward means that we have to have some type of thing that we're doing every single day, some type of positivity, some type of story that's going to help our employees or help the people that we are leading to continue to press as well as they see us moving forward. So I was swimming for physical therapy and I won and I I earned my spot on the team, but I didn't even realize I was on the team. So I was swimming the 100 meter freestyle. I needed a 106 flat to make the team. And uh, I swam 106.01. So I didn't make it. I, I would, but I was happy. I was great. I was, it was ice cream. It was cake. It was everything. I said, I can't believe 22 months post-injury, I'm actually at an elite level again with one leg. I was freaking out. Uh, so I left. But the coach from Catholic University calls me up and says, why did you leave? And I was like, well, I didn't make the team, but you know, congratulations, go on down to Atlanta, compete. I'm, just, I'm supporting you, rah, 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 you know, right behind you. He says, well, in swimming at the 50 meter mark in the freestyle, if your time is underneath the time that's, that's needed, the qualification time, that time actually counts. And you were underneath the time in the 50 meter freestyle or in the 100 meter freestyle at the 50 meter mark. So we picked you up for our relay team. You mean, I'm not going as a 400 meter hurdler to the games, I'm going as an African American swimmer <laughs> I thought it was kind of comical, you know? That is um, awesome. It's, it was,
1: it
0: it's, it's a, comical,
1: but like there's so much there that you go from being in pain and agony and, and thinking your life is almost over and never going to be the same and who am I and yeah. all, the, all the things that you're experiencing to you just put yourself in motion. You got into, as you're going to talk about here, something that, that worked for you. And next thing you know, you're accidentally making the Paralympic <laughs> team.
0: So, David, it's, it's really about those small steps, right? One misstep took my whole life on a different trajectory because my life before that was I'm going to be an officer in the United States Army. I had a class date for officer candidate school. I'm going to do 20 years, get out maybe as a light colonel and do another 20 years in the same type of job capacity, working for Halliburton or you know one of the big, the big uh, military firms and do another 20, double retirement, travel the world. That was the, the way I was thinking. One misstep derailed all of those things. So how do you get back up and how do you get back on a parallel path when you don't know what that path yet holds for you? So one of the ways in which we can do this, right, and what, I'm, what I mean by doing, your people probably have a negative mindset about what happened. And if you look at Dr. Martin Seligman's work around this in positive psychology, there is this negative mindset, this, uh, this way in which we go down the rabbit hole. But we can shift that into a positive mindset, an owner mindset, as he calls it, and then uh, the, an optimistic mindset, and then on to that the ownership statement. So you go from a negative mindset to an optimistic mindset, optimistic mindset to an owner mindset, uh, and we can flip it. So I do a lot of work at the University of Arkansas, and we have a program for 25 uh, black males and that are in the sports area, as well as those in revenue-generating sports and those that are in the university itself. And we go and we take words that people might say with those individuals. One is, um, and the negative mindset would be, why do so few African-American men enroll in college? So that's a very negative statement. And then the optimistic statement is, how are currently enrolled African-American male students nurturing their own aspirations for their college education? a better statement, it's more optimistic looking. And then the owner statement is, uh, how am I nurturing my own aspirations for my education? Or I am nurturing my own aspirations for my own education. How do I do that? So we can take that whole cycle with our individuals right now and saying, what's the negative statement that they're making that you're hearing? Turn that into an owner statement. I'm sorry, let's turn that into an optimistic statement and that optimistic statement into an owner statement. Uh, it's a really good great exercise you may want to do with your people.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to recommend everybody put a little note here on your timestamp. Rewind and listen to that again and write those three steps down. Take those with your team and you will have got all the value for helping to turn your team around that you could possibly want. John, thanks again for that. That was phenomenal. All right. So we're not going to hang out in the past, but I guarantee you right now we've got a ton of people, sometimes myself included, when I I'm looking at some of the things we're dealing with. Yeah, me too. <laughs> longing for the past, right? And how do you, because you said you got to let go of it. Right. And I know that you have put a lot of time and thought into this. Right. How do you help people? How do you recommend that a leader right now who is, is in the middle of all oh, of the, the chaos of everything? I love this facing, question. <laughs> it's so good. How do they let go of what was to embrace what is yeah. and go from there?
0: So, so I love this because, right? We, it has to do with these falsities that we think that we we're trying to get something back. We think we're going to get back to normal. If I can just get this back, everything will be fine. Everything will be okay. But we've had these lived experiences now, so we we never can go back to that place. Uh, I understood this when I did my first TED TEDx talk. I didn't think I was saying anything, and I and I recognized when something slipped out of my mouth when I was talking to a friend, and I said to that friend, "You know what?" If I overcame the amputation of my left leg, I would have my leg back. If I had overcome the amputation of my left leg, I would have my leg back. We don't get that back. We don't get the relationship back. We don't get the time back that has marched on for us. So then how do we have to show up? Well, that premise is still something we're building on because we don't re- yet recognize that we, we have passed that place because we, you can hear it in your people and you can hear it in your own voice that if I can just get back to the way it was. If you're, if you're saying that, you have not moved on from the, the past. You're stuck there. That's a marker that you can look in your people on their, the, the way they're, they're showing up and talking about things. If they're trying to get back there, they have not moved on and they're on what I call a false summit. The next piece of that is a redefining moment. And that redefining moment is trying to understand how do I show up in this new environment? For me, it was, is my wife gonna stick around? All those questions I had. How do I show up as a new amputee? Am I gonna listen to the other people, other individuals who are trying to hold me back or try to fit me into their box, believing for me what I can or cannot do, which is often based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in my situation? Or is it society? Do I listen to society? What is society saying? What's the stock market saying? S&P 500, Uh, all the things that I'm listening to that are driving me, CNN, Fox News. What am I listening to in society that I really don't have too much control over that's driving my fears and the way I'm showing up in my redefining moment? The question though of what you do in that moment is you have to choose whether it's three seconds, three hours, three minutes, three days, three years afterwards, You have to choose what it is in your life that you are going to amputate to embrace this new normal mindset. And it's individually for each one of us, we have to make that choice that we're gonna release that thing that's in the past that's holding us back, driving our fears, and pushing us into that new normal
1: existence. So John, as you're thinking about the leaders who listen to this show, frontline leaders, mid-level managers, you got senior executives who are listening and confronting a very uncertain economic environment. Maybe their, maybe their entire workforce is working remotely now and they've been scrambling to get that together. And, and I was just reading uh, uh, somebody saying the other day, you know, well, as soon as this gets, uh, as soon as uh, we get back to usual, back to normal. Yeah. And what you're saying is that's not happening because time has (laughs) passed. People have now had these experiences the world is going to be a different place for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we've got to let go of that. Then what? Then what's the next step as we let go of that? And as you said, amputate that and free ourselves to move forward. What's the next step? How do you propose somebody starts from where they are right now, which could be a place of, of overwhelm or fear or, mm-hmm. or exhaustion um, or uh, wondering if they're sufficient to what's ahead And what's the next practical step?
0: Well, I think it's this time that we're in right now, right? It is almost a time uh, for some of respite. Let me explain what that that means for me. A lot of times we're thinking about looking for the opportunities despite the obstacles and we're ready to charge out and move out right, right away. One of the things I think is really critical is how I look at resilience. Resilience is a different word for me. Most people think about it as like a rubber band snapping back to its original shape. Uh, I don't look at it that way because in my life, my rubber band actually broke. Many leaders are looking at that, their life right now. The their rubber band has broken. So how do I go with the normal resilience that I've been talking about and bounce back when my rubber band has is, is lost its elasticity and it's broken now? And so one of the things that I share with, with leaders now is that you have to look at that word resilience. And for me, I'm a hurdler, so and I still coach the hurdles. In the hurdles, it's a ten. It's a ten-barrier race. and the word resilience, are ten letters, and those ten or ten letters can represent a an acronym for you if you if you want it. Uh, my first one is in the R. is a It's a ritual that develops a rhythm that gets you into your rise. But before I even get off and start moving into some type of a ritual, I look at what that word is, and embedded in the word resilience, also track and field analogy, is when the the, the announcer is about to announce the race, and the starter has the pistol in his or her hand, the announcer will say, quiet for the start. And embedded in the word resilience is the word silence. How do we begin to hear our own voice first and understand what direction we might need to go off in? Most leaders begin to charge. How do I just bury my head down and start plugging holes, plugging holes? But before you start plugging the holes and the gaps and trying to figure out how you're going to keep that business afloat, you really have, have to have to be in practice of hearing that own voice, your own voice. And I, I have found that leaders just do not take that time because we're in execution mode all the time. We got to, to make sure that we are the ones out front and leading and making sure the team is okay and hearing their voices. And yes, we have to do that. But first we have to center ourselves because what, however you show up, people will read that off of you and they will take that emotional connection and you might have a, a barnstorm fire on your on your hands just because you didn't know how to show up in that environment because you did not take the time to listen before you actually execute it. And that can be different for everybody. Um, how many times do we get in the shower we have these great ideas? Most of our ideas come when we are relaxed, we have placed ourselves in a position that we can actually hear our own voice and things start coming to us and we have a pad to write it down. It's why I wrote this this, this book, 10 uh, Power Stories to Impact Any Leader, uh, journaling your way to um, leadership success, because I find that leaders just don't take that moment. And these 10 short stories just are impetuses. They are, they're, they're, they're fire starters to get you to get that story out so that you can elevate your people even more so.
1: I'm thinking about the just the times in my life where I have faced these kinds of transitions and um, and how valuable it was. And I didn't always go there first. Sometimes yeah. it took, you know, getting hit upside the head by circumstances <laughs> to, to stop me and get quiet and find and listen to my own voice and, and tap into my own values and get centered on what was absolutely. most so, so, important. So
0: let me stop you right there. Cause I want to give an example, right? Cause this is, this can be, for your leaders that are out there, it can be like, "Oh, this guy's telling me this stuff, and I really don 't know who, who he is." In 2019, I was laid off for the United States Olympic Committee. It built all these amazing programs, and on January 4th, at 12:30 p.m, right in the afternoon, in 34 seconds, I lost my job with the United States Olympic Committee. And you know what the, I did the next day after? I put this into practice because I had so many times before. So the practice can be a practice as well. And I went skiing. I went up to the mountains. I drove up there in the morning time so I could think, I could just reflect, I could think what what are the next steps that I need to take. And I decided that that year of 2019 would be a full year of listening. In fact, it came out so well that one of my clients had me listen to their meeting for three days and then summarize what I heard. I had like 50 pages of notes, y'all. Uh, how do you summarize 50 pages of notes in an hour presentation? And I had all these notes and really I understood from that point just how important it is to hear our own voice, calm ourselves so we can actually give direction, clear direction, so that that neural coupling is going in the right direction we're all pulling together.
1: Yeah, you know, it's certainly something that we've emphasized for leaders as we've been talking with people who are navigating the crisis or any time of rapid change and stress, which is to manage your, yourself and to show up with calmness and clarity because Mm -hmm. otherwise, as you Mm -hmm. said, that it, everything resonates through your team. And if you're not calm and clear, they're done. Absolutely. All right. So we've let go of the past. We've accepted, we've embraced the fact that we're heading into something. We don't have a prior point of reference, but we're going, we've got quiet, tapped in, got centered. What now?
0: So now it's time to execute. It is time to move out. And I would recommend you take the small steps. And this is where the risk taking comes. And risk taking is really hard, especially like you're in the banking industry, or you might be in a place that's risk averse. But risk can be a lot of different things. It can be showing up as yourself, fully authentic with people when they are freaking out and you're not, and you're checking in with empathy and you're trying to really understand where everybody is and then put the things in place. And when you believe that the systems and processes are in place, you execute, you move out on it. You cannot stay stagnant. If Olympians and Paralympians are training four years from today that the way they are training today, they've already lost the gold medal.
1: So we take the pause, center, listen, and then once we've done that, then it's time to move and move quick. But move do, quick. do that with small, small steps. Right.
0: Because I think, so what happens, so the reason I say that when I was building the Paralympic military sport program for the United States Olympic Committee, I can't go in there or could not go in there as John Register, silver medalist, Paralympic athlete, because the gap for them on that bed, fresh out of the war, it's too great of a leap. So I got to come to their level and empathize actually where they are, maybe even bring my wife in to talk to their spouse, right? And therefore, we're doing incremental levels, very small levels, micros, uh, very small sliv- slivers to elevate the confidence of the people. And then you can start running again. So in the, in the model I've, I've built, that I call is like the rebirth to the resolve. So in the rebirth, I'm learning how to walk again on my artificial leg. I'm learning how to stand up, how to be erect, how to make the movements the same way before I did, how to, to show up in this space. Then eventually how to run again, how to jump again on artificial leg. Where can I show up? How are people going to view me and see me? Do I have stigma from myself or do I have stigma that I have to get over from other people? Other people, like I said earlier, believing for me what I can or cannot do. And then society, how am I showing up in society? What are people saying about this one-legged guy now and my capabilities and what I'm I'm authorized to do? Um, So now I got to get over that. And when I get my stride, when I get running again because of this resolve, it creates a resolve in me. I am resolute in who I am. And when I'm resolute, there is no one that's going to ever tell me I'm going to go back to that, that current state. And the words become different. So just like we heard the words and we know when people are in that uh, redefining moment and they're a little bit fearful, we also hear the words of our employees and our people and our own voice resonate when we're in the resolve moment. And, and so for me, it was when I won the Paralympic silver medal, a reporter asked me after that competition was over, she said, John, do you think with artificial limb technology, you could go back in, in the old days of the Southwest Conference when you jumped against Carl Lewis, when you ran against Michael Johnson, Um, Do you think you could do that the same thing with artificial limb technology? And I looked at her and I listened to the question. I said, no, but maybe your question should be, if Michael Johnson or Carl Lewis, God forbid, lost a leg, could they run as fast or jump as far as I do? That's the language we want to hear in the catch up, because now I am totally confident in who I am. And I understand that everything might not work out right. But I know exactly what my business is going to be. I know exactly how I'm showing up for my employees. I know exactly that we are going to get out of this and we are in this together. And they believe it because they're now neuro coupled with me because my story is strong. It's straight. And I believe it 100%.
1: So I want to you know, just take that to a practical level for yep. uh, some of our business leaders. So, you know if you are struggling right now, and I heard this, I've heard uh, in conversations with leaders in the last week, I've heard, Uh, people struggling. like, I don't know how to build or maintain our corporate culture when no one's in the same room. And to do anything, you have to like get on a call. You can't just, you know, the intangibles that circulate through the air, you know, from employees who are feeling or managers who are feeling completely adrift and alone because their leaders are overwhelmed and they're not getting the one-on-one attention that they're accustomed to and meetings are being canceled. And so they're feeling, you know, like, gosh, what do I do? So, From going from that reality right this moment to the confidence, like John was explaining when, hey, could Carl Lewis be as good as I am? Like, there's a a huge gap between where you are now, if that's how you're feeling, and the confidence you're going to get to of, hey, no, we've got rocking corporate culture. Let us show you how it's done for, you know, that if you're just now getting into the situation, we know how to do it. Here's how you do it. And and talk to anybody on our team. They're going to be able to help you. There's, a, there's a, a wide gap there. And so what I hear you saying, John, is what are the small steps? So maybe it's if your people aren't accustomed to remote meetings and, and using video conferencing technology. Yep. So it's starting there and having fun with it and playing with it uh, for a little bit to get people acclimated. Yes. From there, it's, okay, now can we introduce some uh, some personal connection? Hey, what's that, you know, uh, we're, you're hearing this, but right now, John is on screen behind me and there's a cello in the background. So it's, you know, maybe it's saying, all right, you know what, today we're going to start off our meeting by just one thing. We're going to check on something personal with each person that's yes. on screen. So, you know, what's that cello about, John? And then, well, you know, then we go from there to, okay, let's tackle some business challenges or let's use the next element of the technology and do some breakout rooms and, And let's increase step-by-step. You don't have to do it all at once. That's right. But step-by-step. And that's just the technology. Then you've got the actual business challenges you're facing. And I saw a leader the other day who did this brilliantly, who said, everything going on, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to call every customer and we're going to ask this question. And they broke it down. They made it small. With all the confidence and conviction that you're talking about. One question, one answer, and then that's it. We're out. And so, to be able to take one step at a time, that's how you build what, what John's talking about. So, wherever you are, we just want to encourage you that the transformation to your new normal is absolutely possible and you can do it. John, one of the, the reasons that I, that I have found you um, to be such an inspirer over the years um, for me personally and for other people is uh, your sense of humor. And I, I, don't, I wonder if you'd be willing to comment on. Sometimes it doesn't seem like you can have a sense of humor in dire situations. I mean, how do you joke about losing your leg or, you know, I mean, or, or what's happening in the world right now? It's like, where does humor come into all of this? That's great. Um,
0: I, I think, you know, humor I've, I've heard defined as pain plus time. And so that's kind of how I, I look at it, uh, definitely for me, because it wasn't humorous when I first you know had the action. I wasn't cracking jokes. It was really quite painful. But as I began to get distance from it, as I began, as you were talking about those thin slices, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about, as you talk about moving up that ladder, I was getting distance from it. And so when somebody came in and I saw like a firefighter who lost his legs, a double leg amputee in a a three alarm blaze, and he's now so far away from it that he can joke about it, that allows me the freedom to say, oh, if he's joking about this, maybe it is okay. And maybe that's a mechanism I can cope with at first, but then it also can be a mechanism as I found out later to help people feel comfortable around me when they don't maybe know what to say. Uh, and they don't have the words and they and and so I, I talk a lot about this when we're, when we're when we're sharing about how people show up. What do I what do I call you? Like usually it's a, we, we put in a diversity conversation. It kind of fits there. I do it as disability conversation and people just don't say, how do I show up? How do, what do I call you? You know, you, are you African-American? Are you? An, I don't know what to do. So I just say uh, to them, you wouldn't introduce me as, hey, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to my black friend, John. Right, (laughs) we just don't do that. That's pretty humorous, right there, and I can joke about it because it it helps disarm people. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. So, what do I call you then? Well,
1: how about John? So, John, you mentioned your book, The 10 Power Stories, and as a great way for leaders to help uh, find and listen to their own voice and cultivate that through the short stories and the journaling exercises and so forth. Uh, Where can people? find out more about the book or, or order the book as well as where can people find out more about you? Oh, thank you for offering that. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I have no
0: idea why it went to number one because it was my first book attempt and uh, it's the book that I didn't even think I was going to write. Uh, so yeah, 10 power stories, uh, 10 power stories to impact any leader and then the subtitle is Journaling Your Way to Leadership Success. That's on Amazon, you can get it. It's pre-sale right now, May 17th, it actually drops, it comes out. So please uh, go out there and support. It's really cheap. I think it's like $1.99 on, on, on the thing. I don't even know what I was doing. I probably should raise the price, but I won't. Um, not, not until at least after May 17th. And then to find me, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So that's, I think it's John Register, I think is my name there. And I do a lot on Instagram, which is at John F register. And I'm putting up a lot of stuff on YouTube right now, which is John Register during these times, just to offer some, some value. And you can, you know, have a positive moment if you need a, a respite in your day. The other piece of it is, is hope, right? And I, that, when I look at hope and I look at faith, I look at those as kind of different than most people look at as well. I believe that in faith, it's actually a tangible thing. And so as I believe it to be, it's already coming to me. I think it's already on the way. I'm just waiting for it to, to come into my existence. So if, I'm, if I have faith that this coronavirus is going to end, I'm, I'm just looking for the end. And so how do I show up in, the, in, that, in that moment when it actually that my faith actually comes to fruition and it has ended? So I need to start operating in that faith that I have. So I'm going to operate in what I believe is actually coming to me.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great, great way to say that. You know, I, I'm a huge believer fundamentally that leadership is the hope business. That if you're a leader, you're in the hope business because you are basing your work and your communicate everything comes down to that fundamental belief that tomorrow we can have a, a better tomorrow if we work together. Right, that's right. And, and you have to believe that. You can't lead if you don't believe that. <laughs>
0: Absolutely can't because we don't we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. I mean just one day we're going along fine, next day coronavirus is here and we're all shut down. So it's like it's like being an amputee. It's like one day I'm running track and I'm Olympic games are ahead of me, next day I'm never going to run another hurdle
1: in my life. And yet. And yet. And, and yet. And, still. and and that's the and yet and still, right? Mm. And so that's where, you know, as we conclude our conversation today, that's where I want to leave uh, our leaders who are listening. You, you've listened to this conversation. You've listened to John's journey and the steps that he has learned and, and communicated with people all over the world uh, about how to overcome the challenges that we face, how to, how to uh, embrace life's new normal, uh, how to take those steps to let go, to get centered, to take action, to, to look for the hope, to look for the opportunities. And, and that's where I want to leave you is where John did that there is hope and that your teams are looking to you for that hope. And I know John and I would want you to know that there is hope and that it's there for you if you believe it, if you're looking for it, if you embrace it. John, what uh, final words would you have to share with with everybody today?
0: The action step, uh, because I see so many people getting paralyzed right now uh, and it's not that paralysis, we think of paralysis also as a, as a negative. When I look at, when I see paralysis, I'm seeing somebody also with an expected hope because we say that wheelchairs can find people. I think wheelchairs actually liberate people uh, because they, get, they, they, they can get around. Uh, they're, mo- they're more mobile than usually sometimes I am. The only thing that's limiting them is societal barriers or attitudinal barriers and as i look at uh, kind of one of the mantras i have is go forth and inspire your world and when i use that it's very intentional those five words go is your command forth is your direction inspire is your vocation your because it's personal to you and world because that is your sphere of influence and when you can master that when you have resolve and a resolute in that you will show up in such a powerful way, not only for yourself, your families, but your employees, and you will skyrocket and rise to heights that you never even thought possible.
1: John, thank you so much. Absolutely. Until next time, be the leader you'd want your boss to be.